purpose of investing is not just to get the million dollars. It's to get the million dollars so you can have $40,000 a year, inflation-protected, tax-efficient income for the rest of your life. That's what the million dollars buys you. This is The Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. David Jenkins wants to help you learn about investing, but he doesn't want any compensation. David wants you to pay it forward. If you learn something new from his website, he wants you to make a donation to charity instead. David's charity of choice is the San Filippo Children's Research Foundation, which was created to help find a cure for San Filippo Syndrome a degenerative and terminal genetic disorder that affects children. To try to simplify the complex world of investing, David created a website called theanswerisca It's a financial education website that provides step-by-step instructions for a model long-term investment portfolio containing six low-cost ETFs that are well-diversified both geographically and, more importantly, by economic sector. But David doesn't want you to just jump right in He wants to make sure you understand the service he's providing. And therefore, he made it so that you have to complete a six-question quiz before you proceed. Especially if you're new to investing, it can be dangerous to follow David's 100% equity model ETF portfolio if you don't fully understand that he wants you to buy and hold it for at least 10 years. It's also important to understand that the information he provides is purely educational, and it's just one option for investing your money. David is a self-taught investor and is simply using this website to convey what he's learned to whoever wants to listen. Similar to what I would do as a personal finance coach, David is simply interested in providing you with information to help you make the right decisions for you. Please be sure to read all the disclaimers on theanswerisca when you check it out. David joined me in the studio earlier this year to share his personal finance story. He was pretty young, actually. And my mom used to subscribe to the Toronto Star. Okay. And for some reason, she gave me the business section and said, here, look at this. And, and how, early, how early are you? How like, young is this? I think I'm 12, 13 years old Okay, so now it's time for the business section. Yeah. So <laughs> I open it up and, you know, I'm, I, the articles are boring, obviously. Yeah. But I get to these stock tables and they're just, mm. they go on forever. And uh, I started to ask her a couple questions. She's, she was not a financial expert by any means. Um, but she's able to say, well, yeah, those are stock tables. That's the price, you know, it was got as high as this today or as low as that today. And it closed at this price. And, and that's an indication of what the company's worth. And so I thought, she was able to explain the basics to you. And, and but she like, cause she maybe invested in stocks, even though no. she wasn't an expert, but she didn't invest at all. No, okay. No. Interesting. And so I just started playing a game with myself, you know, pick something and see if it went up or down. Okay. And yeah. I didn't put any money on it cause I didn't have any, but that's, I guess that was probably the, the thing that first got me interested because then I started to link a newspaper article to a stock price. Yeah, okay. So that's I guess that's the probably the earliest type of memory which sort of piqued my interest at, at finance. Now if someone is is getting started or wants to get started in actively picking stocks and building their own portfolio, say, it, you know, if that's something they're interested in, would you recommend that they go through like some of the mock uh, uh, things that they have set up at the investment uh, brokerages? Like you can get a fake account with 100,000 fake dollars in it and 
kind of go through what you did when you were 12? I, I think the fake accounts are a great idea. Okay. Although I would steer new investors away from individual stock selection. Yeah, of course. And more towards ETFs. Yeah, yeah. As um, I would too. Yeah. But if someone's like, you know, gung-ho and they're like, I want to value investing, I want to pick my own stocks, which some people just, they start yep. that way, depending. That's That would be a good option for them. I, th- I think a practice account is a great place to start. Yeah, I mean, good, because then you can see what happens. I think I did it once with Netflix, and like when Netflix went up by like 300% or something, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. no, why, right? Yeah, why, Not why that I put the real cash But in? then like in the real <laughs> world, I really don't think I would have bought Netflix anyway, because yeah. as you just said, I would recommend people invest in balanced ETF portfolio right. or balanced portfolio of balanced uh, ETFs, right? Yeah. As balanced as you possibly can get, uh, you know, uh, that that's... Uh, that's what well, I recommend. Well, in actual fact, I'm not, a big, I'm not a big believer in balance. Oh, I see. Okay. So please continue on that. The site I, I, I wrote is really targeted towards younger people, mm-hmm. uh, 18 to 35-ish, people who are just starting out or uh, you know, trying to get established with an investing career. I think it's a big, big mistake, actually, to be balanced at that age. To be, like, when you say balance, we're talking about some, maybe a little bit of cash, but some, some fixed income and some equity, so like bonds and stocks. But you're saying... It's a mistake dump, to dump. have the bonds in there. Yeah. I'm a big believer in a high proportion of equity at a young age, like 80, 90, even 100%. And the reason is because long-term average equity returns are over the last 80, 90 years are about 10%. Unlikely we're going to get 10% from today for because the market's so high. Yeah. But, you know, there's some thinking that says long-term average equity returns might be 7 Sure. Okay. Well, fixed income is probably... You know, if you're lucky to get three or four percent, quite frankly, today. Yeah, or negative, <laughs> or, or, or negative <laughs> on some after bonds. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. really strange. Bonds used to be you're guaranteed a sort of you could make I don't know ten percent in the '80s or whatever it was, right? Uh, bonds, but which is sweet. Bonds was a thing, right? Can't do it. But now it's like, yeah, it's weird. So if you do this early in life, what happens? So basically, the argument I make is that I wrote a little article that's on the website called The Terrible Twos. Mm. Also, uh, another supporting article, uh, which is, I think it's called The Cost of Playing It Safe. But basically, what I'm saying is that if you reduce your potential return by 2%, which Mm. is easy to do if you're invested in fixed income versus equity, then you can forfeit half 50% 50% of your long-term portfolio value. Really? That much? It, just just by you know shifting it all towards equities. But what about the risk? Yeah. Okay. Great question. Because that's, that's the reason why people don't go all that's right. equity. So basically, I encourage investing in equities only for the long term. So if you can't afford to leave that money alone for a minimum of 10 years, yeah. you really shouldn't be in equities. That's, that's a good point. Right? And so, and but you want longer than that even. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I, I'm looking, the money I'm putting away, the money I'm talking about to you with right now is, is really the long-term money. It's the 20, 30, and 40 years from now. Mm-hmm. And in, in that situation, I think the power of equities is, is really compounds and, take, and you get the results I was just alluding to. The risk, see, I'm a big believer, there's risk and there's volatility. And from my background, risk to me, by some definitions, is a permanent loss of capital. Okay. That's, that's what risk is. Okay. Volatility is simply a large change in price over a short period of time. Okay. They're two totally separate things. So volatility, you're saying, is, doesn't really exist in, in the long term as much? 
Right. Yeah. Explain how risk works in, in the in the long term. Okay, okay. So so in terms of risk, keep in mind the the definition I'm using is yeah. the uh, risk of a permanent loss of capital. So yeah, it, can you explain more about that? What does that mean? What, what would a permanent some, loss? Yeah. If never you, coming back. Never come back. Like if you buy a stock at 100 and you sell it at 80, those 20 dollars are never coming back. That seems like uh, by something that you would do. How else would you lose a permanent uh, like amount? Just by selling it. Just a loss. by selling. So you, yeah. it's it's this is human behavior that's causing this loss. Exactly. And people are trying to prevent future losses by selling it, say, early. But really what they're doing is making this loss permanent instead of making it have the ability to recover, say, later. Is that what's happening? That's what's happening. But if, if I could maybe try to spin it around please on do. you. Please do. Um, so we did talk briefly about ETFs. And I, most of your listeners, I, I think, would know exchange-traded funds. Right? Yeah. Just assume that maybe some of them don't. Okay. So, <laughs> so an exchange-traded fund or ETF is a single security that can represent an entire index of securities. So, for example, you can buy one ETF and you get exposure to the largest 60 companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Little bits of the companies. Little bits. One, if you want to call it a share. Yes. Of, and you can buy a bunch of shares of that. Right. Or you could buy one a share of an ETF in the States and you get the S&P 500, the largest 500 companies in the States. Great. So that's what an ETF is. But now let's step back and think about, you know, we're investing for the long term and I've We've already suggested we both kind of like ETFs. Mm-hmm. So now put your head in the place where you're going to buy an ETF today. You're telling yourself you can't touch that money for a minimum of 10 years and maybe 30 or 40 years. Yeah. So if the price of that ETF goes down between now and five years or six years or eight years from now, it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're not doing anything. It doesn't matter. Here's the other thing. If you buy an ETF, the chances of a large capitalization ETF like the XIC, the S&P, TSX 60, you know, the largest companies in, the, in Canada or sure. the S&P 500 in the States. If you buy one of those two, two ETFs, the chances of that ETF going to zero are almost zero. Okay. The only way that can actually happen is if we probably have a nuclear war and then I don't think I have the to worry about our investments. The whole economy crashes. So it's <laughs> like if the stock market goes down a little bit, everything's going to go down, but everything's likely going to recover and keep growing. The only risk in terms of when you're investing, say, in equities, if you have one company like Google or Netflix, yeah. is that Netflix could actually completely go bankrupt and be, go down to zero. Absolutely. But with little pieces of companies in one ETF, in one fund, there's a really, really low risk of that. Happening. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So now... And the reason why I, I, I speak in those terms is because, as you've alluded, investing is about in, um, human behavior. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do is share philosophies and strategies that allow you to manage your behavior. So if you can tell your head, the money I'm putting away today, I'm not, it's gone for a minimum of 10, maybe 30 or 40. I'm only going to invest in something that really can't go to zero. I've now, I say it's the three M's, I've managed okay. to mitigate the majority of risk. Nice. It's not zero but I managed to mitigate the majority of risk in that situation. So now all I really have to worry about is volatility. Okay. And now we're turning volatility into our friend, not our foe. Because if you have that kind of mindset, when the stock market drops 20, 25%, mm-hmm. you, you can now think, hey, I was going to buy those pair of shoes for 50 bucks. Now they're 40 bucks. I was going to buy that ETF for 50 bucks. Now the ETF is 40 bucks. Okay. So you're kind of buying them on sale. Yeah, because you're in it for the long term. Right. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. And is that what happens when we rebalance at times? Like, how does rebalancing come into this? Rebalancing 
with the the model, the answer is portfolio. There's a model portfolio that's comprised. This is the of, one that you use, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 comprises six ETFs. Okay. Okay. Very briefly, it's it's thirty five percent Canada. It's twenty percent large cap USA. It's twenty percent large companies outside of North America. It is ten percent emerging markets, and it's seven and a half percent real estate and seven and a half percent utilities. I'll come back to that later. But basically, that's the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so, when it comes time to rebalance, I only rebalance the portfolio once a year. This is not a high maintenance situation. Um, okay. I'm, I'm suggesting. Basically, you log on to the website. There's a chart there. Once you become a registered user, let's say for example, you put five thousand dollars in last year. Yeah. And this year, you got a nice bonus check, so you got maybe. Say sixty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You just type in sixty five hundred into the chart, and the chart will spit out for you right online how much of each of the six ETFs you should have. You compare that to what you currently have on your on your um, online banking, mm-hmm. and you just buy the difference. Okay, and that's all there is to rebalancing. It's really not that complicated. That's it. Okay, so let's we'll come back to this. Sure. And uh, but I do want to say though, it seems like the only difference between what you're doing and say a robo advisor is that you don't have the fixed income parts to it. Like you wouldn't have a bond ETF in there. Okay. Am I wrong? You're like, well, like just you're in general. Mostly, I'm okay, not saying gener- the same ETFs. Like you yeah. seem to have a bunch of diversified equity ETFs. You're a hundred percent right. I'm not talking about specifics, we can, which we can get to later. But okay. I just wanted to say just, it sounds like you are trying to mitigate. Uh, well, you know, now that you've defined risk and, and volatility, I'm not sure which one to use now, but it seems like you They're are different. M- mitigating risk uh, with ETFs. ETFs mitigate risk. Correct. Is that, that's an interesting thing. I never really thought about yep. that just by having ETFs, you're mitigating risk. So you're really mitigating volatility or their, your exposure to volatility with the long term, right? Right. I'm happy to have volatility because that's when the right. price drops... The, th- the thing I was going to pay 50 bucks for is now 40 bucks. I'm happier. And okay. And then the reason I brought up uh, rebalancing is because you're not doing this. Like you're not watching the ETFs in the market go down and then buying them at 40 bucks at that point. You're just buying them at regular points over time. Yeah. I mean, if you were an active investor, you could do exactly what you suggested. Yeah. And I don't really have any trouble with that. Okay. So you, you're fine with active or passive. People just want to leave it, do regular investments and rebalance once a year. That's fine. But if they want to be watching and say, oh, look, it looks like I have an opportunity to buy more and I'm in it for the long term. So why not? Yeah. Why okay. Not? Absolutely right. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So, okay. What I want to know is then let's go back in time again. Actually, can I? Oh, can yeah. I, please go ahead. You, 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 you hit, I know. You hit a chord with Robo Advisor. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Of course. And, and yeah. I want to address that. You want to address that. Yes, yeah. If you don't course. mind. For your listeners, they know what a, a Robo Advisor is, is sort of like automated investing. Yeah. Where you can log into like Wealthsimple or Smartfolio, BMO Smartfolio, and many, many others. Nest Wealth. There's many others. Yeah. I think there's 13 now in Canada. Hmm. And what you do is you a- answer some questions and they set up a proposed ETF portfolio for you. That's It could be conservative or balanced or aggressive, whatever the case Based may be. Based on your risk tolerance. Exactly. Yeah. So so for fun, I, I speak sometimes at uh, some universities. Mm-hmm. And for fun, I said to one class one time, I said, hey, let's do a robo onboarding together. Okay. Yeah, okay. great. We had already established that the long-term equity return just through conversation was going to be, say, 7%. Okay. So put that in the background. So I said, I got three questions for you guys. These were third-year finance students, by the way. So they're, okay. they're, so they're, they're people they who know. Yeah. yeah. So I said, all right, guys, we're going to do the robo onboarding. Question number one, stand up. If you think a portfolio of 100% equity and 0% fixed income is an aggressive portfolio as opposed to balanced or conservative. And of course, all 40 students in the class stand up because it's obviously aggressive, yeah. 100% equity. 
So I said, okay, question number two, remain standing if you think a portfolio of 80% equity and 20% fixed income is still an aggressive portfolio. It hasn't tilted yet down towards balance and it's certainly not conservative. To my surprise, two people sat down. Two mm. people thought that that wasn't aggressive, which okay. surprised me. But so Everyone's different. Everyone's different. So we had 38 of the 40 people standing up. Sure. I said, last question. Now, keep in mind, I'm, at, I'm talking to university students. Mm-hmm. Last question. I said, all right, if you had a choice, would you prefer to invest socially responsibly mm. or not? If the answer is yes, you want to invest socially responsibly, remain standing. If the answer is no, please sit down. So two people sit down. 36 people are standing. Okay. And I said, okay, for all the people currently standing, all of you have just forfeit 30% of your long-term portfolio value. And they're going, what? Yeah. What, what just happened? Yeah, why, why not? Why can't we invest socially responsibly? Well, here's why. So there's, I told you, there's three questions, right? Okay, yeah. All right, so let's, let's, I said, let's do this really quickly. Okay. So let's say you had $10,000 at 7%, which was the long-term equity return we all agreed to in advance. Sure. So 10,000, 7% at 40 years is $150,000. Okay. Okay. But you all accepted an 80-20 portfolio that this robo was suggesting to mm. you. You just yeah. took it. Yeah. Well, now you're not making seven. You're making 6.4 because yeah. the equity is earning seven, but the fixed income is only earning four. And so 80-20 comes to 60, 6.4%. Okay. Okay. So not seven, 6.4. And then... Everybody who is still standing still said, hey, I'll invest in socially responsible ETFs, but those cost 40 basis points more than other they ETFs. They do, yeah. So now you're not getting 6.4, you're getting 6. So $10,000 at 6% mm-hmm. for 40 years is 103000 150000 minus 103000 is 47000 okay. 47000 divided by 150000 you just lost 30% of your long-term portfolio value. Interesting. And so... I said to these guys, one last question. I said, if you guys knew that in advance, would you have made those choices? No way would we make those choices. Hmm. And it occurred to me, it was a little too easy to trick third-year finance students. Yeah, that's true. Because they're not really thinking, I mean, they don't have any money at this point. So they haven't, it's all theory for them in the books. You know, I was in third-year finance once. And uh, you just kind of have an idea, but maybe you've never invested in your life. Right. And and so you don't pay attention to the small numbers. Yeah. You know, I want to have a balanced portfolio because my dad's advisor told That's me I should. Said. And so they automatically forfeit 60 basis points where they invest in socially responsible. I'm not saying I'm, I'm against socially responsible. No, I'm not saying no, that at all. It just costs more. Just realize it costs something. That's so what, what can somebody do then? Like, how do you, how do we get the, how do we get the 10%? Or we follow the, the answer it, is it, .ca. Well, you just, you just <laughs> buy a pure equity, uh, balanced portfolio of equities. Uh, with large capitalization, yeah, low cost mm-hmm. ETFs that have a track record, I say, of a minimum of five years. Okay, because if you're buying ETFs that have a shorter track record than five years, you're kind of buying the flavor of the month, and and you risk buying just that they've already traded up and like you know pot stocks for example or things come in out of vogue all the time oil stocks are in then they're out um healthcare is in then it's out real estate's in then it's out and if you buy these things as they're just issued they're only just issued because there's demand that that area is hot so it's true. stay away from those hot sectors yeah and i mean i just did a, a whole uh, podcast with uh, raj lala from evolve etfs right? right and they they're all about the new ones right the thematic yeah. etfs right auto innovation 
uh, marijuana, gender diversity. Gender diversity uh, is not necessarily uh, a new uh, fad or anything. Yeah. It, that's that I like that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a lot of it is, uh, you know, they're seeing into the future and hoping. But how, like, how does the past dictate the future in this case, though? Like, I, I'm always wary about that. Like, I look at this. Okay, great. It was doing fine uh, for the last ten years. I mean, okay, I have a couple of Scotiabank shares, and they've been paying dividends for a hundred years. So mm-hmm. I have a pretty good uh, idea that they're going to keep paying dividends. That I can sort of believe, but they could also stop at any time. How do we know? How do we look into the past? And well, see the you future? really, you really don't know, and that, and that's a great point, and that's what equities are about, and that's again points you towards not owning an indiv- if you like some people have a gift for doing research and buying the right stock at the right time and selling at the right stock at the right time. I don't profess to have that ability, mm-hmm. and I would say most people don't have that ability. And if you don't have the time and the experience in order to, to be able to buy those individual stocks, again, why fight the battle? Buy a large diversified ETF. And, and by definition, don't forget, like pot stocks in Canada, they're rocketing. Are they overvalued? I'm not a professional stock valuator, yeah. but they sure look like it to me. <laughs> um, but what I would say is if they become established, they will become part of the index and okay, you'll yeah. get it in the ETF. Yeah, and but what about like because you know when I was talking about to evolve, these are our ETFs, so it it is a at least it's a a mix, a diversified uh, group in a sector. Yeah. Is that is that a is that risky just to have everything in one sector? Because like you said, it all kind of goes. Personally, I think it is. Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, ever remember everybody remembers uh, the gold ETFs? Sure, boom bust. Yeah, uh, two thousand. Tech ETFs, yeah. boom bust. My guess is three years from now, you'll see pot ETFs, mm-hmm. boom, mm-hmm. bust. And that's just my feeling. Um, I'm not a big fan of following the flavor of the month. Because um, we're in it for the long term. And yeah. so boom bust is not good for us. No. It's <laughs> no, it's really boring, actually. Boom but. would be great. <laughs> yeah. long, uh, a long, uh, you know, slow moving boom. Yeah. How about that, right? <laughs> for yeah. 20 to 30 years yeah. is good. And okay, so... I think uh, we covered that. I want to know sure. how you learned all of this stuff. So we we talked about looking at the business section, looking at the stocks. Did you just keep going with that from there? Like, oh, now that I see this? Or w- was it like you came back to it at a later time? In your well, life? I, I mean, I went to school for, for business okay, uh, yeah. at, at, at uh, Western. Now, so uh, did I, too. I mean, I didn't go to Ivy, but yeah. uh, I, I was in the BACS program. Yep. I thought I might go to Ivy, but I didn't have the grades. Right? Well, I think I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little older than you are. <laughs> um, I say that with respect, but it was much easier for me to get in. Was it true? Was it really? Did like you, I, I, I barely had an 80. Did you, is this, was it still a two-year HBA? Yes. Now, I, did you have to be in a, a business undergrad, like a social science business undergrad? Two, or two years you, of undergrad. Whatever then, you want. And then you apply. Yeah, so it's the same, it was the yeah. same process when I went through. And yeah. I asked, what, did you take a bunch of fluff courses because you knew you were going to go to Ivy? My, Actually, my friend I, did that. I took economics. Okay, you did. Wow. Be, okay. Because I enjoyed it. Yeah, sure. Which turns it into a fluff course if you enjoy it, right? I so, guess so. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, take what you like, right? I mean, yeah. university is what it is. I mean, uh, the, the HBA or a specialized program, what, what value, if we're talking about that, uh, what, do you, what do you think it gave you an edge in terms of having it? You know, it's an honors business administration. Right, right. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing it does is open a door for you. And, but once the interview process is over, it's all on you. 
Yeah, it like, really is. You have to perform. Did I learn stuff I applied in, in my business career from business school? Yeah, I did. Okay. The strategy courses, uh, the finance courses, I, I definitely use that stuff. But the most, I think the most value came from the strategy courses. So how did you pay for Ivy, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I, I have an unusual situation. Okay. My, my father was in the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force. Okay. And he, he died in the line of duty. Oh, wow. Uh, when uh, myself and my three brothers were very young. So uh, the oldest was 12, youngest was two. I was about four at the time. Wow. Okay. So, so my mom raised four boys on an Air Force pension. That's crazy. But one of the benefits of Veterans Affairs was that they enabled each of the four boys. We could all go to university fully paid. So tuition was paid, books were paid, and I was even paid to go to school. That's great. Like they gave you like a per diem or a stipend of some kind. Exactly. And I, you know, as an incentive? No, just for going. Okay. Yeah. And and, and if I recall, I might be wrong on this figure, but I think it was around $200 a month, which at the 1984. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's big dough. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. So, 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 and, and and actually um, when you put me onto that topic, that's the reason why I wrote the answer is. Okay. Because uh, myself and my family, Received a tremendous amount of help from all Canadian taxpayers, mm-hmm. and and you've touched on it. I think my education opened doors and and allowed me to have you know a fruitful career, which I don't think I would have had without the education, which I wouldn't have had without Veterans Affairs. And so the answer is is it's a nonprofit website, and it's my attempt to give back. That's awesome. That's, yeah. So the if somebody signs up. And how does it work for the donations? How, do, how does that work? Right. So, so the website's um, really nothing more than an education site for mm-hmm. do-it-yourselfers. So I'm, I, I might be perhaps one of various places somebody might want to look to learn. And then if you register, uh, you're exposed to the, the model portfolio, which is a six ETFs. But two important things to say. One is you open your own accounts with your own financial institution. So yeah. I, I see, I don't take any money. Yet. It's not through me. So you're I don't see any passwords. Or anything yet. I do nothing. It's yeah. just education. You got it. And then the second thing is, what I do ask is that you donate to a, ch- a charity. I support one particular charity on the website, which is Sam Filippo Children's Foundation. Okay. It's a huge Canadian success story. All I do really is say, if you, if you don't already have a charity of your choice, this is worthy of consideration. But yeah. if, you, if you do have a charity, it doesn't matter what it is. Could be Humane Society, could be Red Cross, could be whatever, cancer. You're free to donate to that charity. And, and when you make the donation, the money goes straight to the charity and you get an instant tax receipt. So I don't see or touch any of that mm-hmm. money either. So it's really just uh, an interface uh, website, really. This is, and this is your way of paying it forward. Trying to, yeah. Because you, you got... Now, of course, so you graduated with no school debt, which Correct. was a good way to start. But of course, uh, unfortunately, the price that you paid was losing a parent early, yeah. right? I mean, nobody would want to you know, right. trade those things off, right? So it's not like you know, oh, wow, lucky you, right? There's no luck in there at all. It's, it's just, you know, you took advantage of something that was provided to you in a, you know, in a unfortunate situation. And that, and not a lot of everybody would do that. Not everybody would use And maybe you know some people who didn't go to school when it was offered to them too. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't keep track of everybody from Veterans Affairs, obviously. No, but, no, but um, I you know, know I guess you were exposed to any people who were just like, I'm not using that because I don't want to. And it's everybody's choice, but. It is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I assume everybody in your family did. We all, yeah. we all, yep. That's all, good, right? Because yep. you hear about other countries who get free, free uh, university or college, yep. and not everybody takes advantage. It's not for everybody, but I feel like if something is there for you and you don't have to make the financial decision, it's almost a no-brainer, especially with the benefits that it gives you and you know society and like the the leg in the door and all that. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 
okay, so that that covers that. You know, you didn't need RESPs or anything like that, which, of course, you probably would have had. I feel like you would have had it for some reason. <laughs> your mom just pointed you to stocks in the, you know, <laughs> when you were 12. Yeah, so what about, like, earning money early in life? Were you a saver, like, you know, before you went to school? Like, uh, Yeah, I, I was a bit of a saver. I mean, my first job was at DeFasco in Hamilton. Okay, wow. And I was there for five years. Uh, so, so, like... I had a modest upbringing, obviously, on an Air Force pension. I don't ever feel like I was missing out on anything, but it was a modest upbringing. Yeah. Like, we didn't travel much or anything like that, of course. When I graduated school, I I was money hungry. Yeah. So, <laughs> you mean, worked wanted, in, in the management uh, at DeFasco? It started out uh, inside sales. Is what okay. Oh, okay. It. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And starting salary is 27000 Okay. Which, back then, was... Uh, that's the reason why I went there. It was the one of the highest paying jobs offered at wow. HBA that year, and so... I was purely attracted by money. I wasn't attracted to steel or Hamilton. Or, no. I just followed the dollars. So, but yeah, why? Why were you so money hungry? Why? I don't know, because I, maybe I didn't have it. Yeah, because, I mean, I, even with the, the Veterans Affairs yeah. uh, uh, support, you probably still had a limited you know, ability Means. to buy things. Yeah. And, and when I, you're growing up, and with four of you and your mom, right? Yeah. Like that's, okay, so... You maybe went without for a little bit and you wanted to... I wanted the car. I wanted you the apartment. You wanted the stuff. I wanted yeah, the stuff. I yeah. wanted to go to Florida with my friend. Sure. You know? And so and, and, and so what I ended up doing is that was a pretty good salary and, and I did manage to save bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when, you, when you ask about my investing history, I gambled like crazy. Yeah, so, like in the stock market. Yeah I, yeah. I lost. I found all kinds of ways to lose money. So I, I lost on warrants, I lost on penny stocks, I lost on futures, and it and, and thankfully I didn't have very much money to lose. But losing five hundred to a thousand bucks at a time back then was big dough. Sure, and you would have learned about this stuff in Ivy, right? Yeah, you would have I, learned what warrants and futures are. I yeah. remember my third year finance course was derivatives. Yeah. yeah, and these are these are just different ways. Like if we could just break that down for a sec, uh, warrants and options are just different ways to buy stocks. Uh, sort of futures are obviously you're trying to predict what the price will be in the future and either buying it at a discount or however that works. But it's just instead of buying the stock up front. Now, why were you doing that? Because it was a more leverage. Bet? Okay. It was more leverage, right? At least I had that in my head. So I used to think, all right, um, this stock's trading at 10 cents. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a hundred bucks buys me, I don't know, a thousand shares. And so I'm excited by a thousand shares because if it goes up a dollar, I'll make a thousand dollars. I'll be rich more. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, I have a gambling, uh, addiction history, right? I, oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. I, I was, uh, an addict for about 20 years, if oh, you, wow, count, okay. you know, from when I was a kid and started, but, uh, yeah, I was at cam H for about 10 all years, right. uh, trying to figure it all out. And, uh, you know, it's been seven years, uh, since I've been clean. So thank you. But uh, no, I like I know the I know the feeling. You know, it's not stock market. Of course, it's uh, yeah, stock market seems way more educated, right, in terms of gambling. But you did, you called it gambling because it is just as unpredictable as a slot machine in some cases if you don't have any information, right? Yeah, and and quite frankly, everything I was buying back then, I was swinging for the fences. I was always trying for a home run. Even though you had the news article knowledge and the stock ticker knowledge that you could look up and say, was it it an article in the paper that would have triggered you to be like, oh, I gotta get that? I just was going for the thing that had the biggest payoff. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so you learned early. I learned early how to lose money, which was great because when I finally had money, I had learn those lessons and so what not to do. Did you ever go into debt doing this though? Uh, I probably borrowed on margin a couple times. Yeah. yeah. But like maybe pay back in a Yeah, quick, I mean quickly. I had the salary to pay it back. Sure. I wasn't crazy about it. Okay. Uh, about how much I used, but every every time I did it I, I managed to lose some money. So since we're talking about 
10, 20 year horizons, do you feel like doing that stuff instead of knowing what you know now, do you feel like if you would have started on your answer is plan, then you would be like, I'd be so, further ahead so sure. much so much further ahead because yeah. like we try we try to tell people who are 20 or 25 hey if you just started with like almost nothing in a month now like you'd be so happy when you turn you know 50 or 60 yeah. um but of course hindsight is 2020 well you know one of the stories i tell i i do these free presentations to whoever wants them universities or businesses or community groups and so one of the stories I tell along that line is, you know, I talk about Sue, who's now graduated, and she's gonna, she's decided she's gonna be responsible and save twenty four hundred bucks a year, okay. and at ten percent in in forty years, she'll have a million bucks. Great. Okay. Yeah. But Sue decides, you know what? Um, I kind of like going out Thursday night and Friday night. Yeah. And I like my non fat cappuccino with cinnamon swirl on top six dollar coffee i love those yeah and so i'm i'm gonna reward myself i've graduated you know i've I managed my student debt i'm gonna reward myself i'm not gonna start investing for one year okay. so instead of starting at 25 she's gonna start at 26 totally her prerogative totally but what happens if she waits one year it'll cost ninety nine thousand dollars of foregone portfolio value wow just by and that's all she's done is wait from 25 to 26 and what's so important about that is that 99000 to put that in context, is more than 40 years of the $2,400 she was going to invest. Mm, yeah. Right? Wow. So by just waiting one year, she's blown out 40 years of $2,400. I really like looking at those graphs, you know, because it's, it's right at the end where it just like, wow, it like almost doubles, right? Yep. Because of the power of compound interest. It's like, okay, yeah, at the beginning, the growth is slow. But, you know, and, and uh, would you even say that's a, a good argument for maybe working a little bit more or re- not retiring as early, say? Because if you just did one more year and didn't tap into this money, wow, right? Well, it's, it's, you're quite right on that side yeah. and you're earning more, right? If you work well, that of course, year. you're still working. Yeah. 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 So it's like, yeah, do you, I mean, I don't know if you've uh, talked to people who are at the, at the end uh, or, or thinking about retiring, but is that a conversation that comes up like, Hey, I, I would stop, but I'm doing okay. And one more year, like it'll just add so much. I probably haven't talked to all that many people that have, are on the cusp of retirement about it. Actually, what about what about you? Are you are you do you consider yourself retired or financially independent? I'm I'm independent. Yeah. To me, I uh, I call it uh, on my website and financial liberty, which means I can get to do what I want to do with who I, like I want to do it when I want to do it. Exactly. And I'm kind of in. I'm fortunate enough to be in that sort of position. So, you know, I spend probably 15, 20 hours a week on, on the answer is doing, mm. doing whatever I can to promote it or research or write or whatever, do a little bit of property brothers with my brother, uh, travel a bit. So I kind of, I'm on a couple of boards. You're doing whatever you please. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Which, I mean, I wish we could all do from the beginning. Unfortunately, you kind of have to pay your dues a little bit and do this and that and build it up. I, I'd like to say that I'm on temporary financial independence right now okay. <laughs> <laughs> or as long as I can, yeah. right? Cause I made the decision to leave a high paying job, yeah. right? That was paying me twice what I needed to live yeah. because it really wasn't fulfilling my values. Right. right. And uh, now I get to create stuff like this podcast and yeah. I like it and I'll try to make it sustainable. But the only reason that I was able to do it was because I saved up enough money. That's right. Liquid money to be able to support myself for, say, at least a year, if not more, without touching that those retirement savings that I had right. built up. Right. But of course, the argument can be made like, well, why don't you stay another year or another year because you could have build more and more and more up. And I think people have a lot of trouble making that call, even if they don't, don't like their job. Well, I think, I think you made the 
financial li- liberty decision. Mm. Like you decided that money's not the most important thing. Yeah. Doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, with who you want to do it is more important to you. So how did you find this out? Like, so let's, let's go back then. Mm-hmm. So you're throwing away your money. When did you learn uh, the stuff that you're teaching now? Like when did you first really kind of realize? Well, I, realize had, um, uh, you know, I, I had the corporate job for a while. Yeah. I was president of uh, Canada's largest independent valuation company. Amazing. Took it public, uh, served in that board for a while. Even during that 60 or 70 hour typical work week, and I love the job, the first hour of every day and the last hour at every night, I would read investing stuff. Really? That's, and that's how I relaxed. But how did you get to that point? Like, because it, it's you're throwing away money on warrants and options and it's shooting for the moon. What made you realize I got to, you know, the single was it the losses, all the losses? Well, yeah, that was part of it. But I, I think the probably one of the single best money decisions I made, there's a there's a um, an investment letter called um, the investment reporter. You probably know okay. them. ML, MPL communications, I think. And uh, I, start, I started to subscribe to them. Basically, a lot of what I'm talking about are some lessons I've learned there and, mm. and some other subscriptions I read, obviously. But they just had a you know, good long-term perspective. And then that's really, I think, it sort of... And I remember also reading that subscription and feeling cheated because mm. like it was... I think it was only a couple hundred dollars, but that was a lot when I first started. And they would they would repeat their lessons, like don't forget, like equity is the long, highest long term return and and diversification. I thought you guys are telling me the same stuff over yeah, and over where and are over my again. Stock tips. Where is <laughs> yeah, and well, they would provide suggestions, sure. but their real value was the sharing of the philosophy about being mm. long term successful. And then it dawned on me many years later that they were being repetitive because they know they need to be repetitive. Of because yeah. us humans, we need to be hit over the head with it. Yeah, why is that, right? Like, I mean, we can't see we can't see long term. It's like, why is it programmed into us to not be able to realize the value? Like, I mean, you know, like my gambling addiction aside, of course, yeah. I, I it was really hard to save any money then. Uh, yeah, you know. But I think back, if I would have started earlier, if I could have, wow, like you know, I mean, I'm I I have a pretty nice nest egg now. What would I have had if I could have started at 20? Right. Right. And, but why do we only think about this stuff after the fact? I don't know. It's just, um, it's crazy human behavior. Yeah. One of the things I, uh, I try to do during a presentation to get people to think, see a lot of times, as I said, I'm talking to younger people, mm-hmm. 18 to 35. And so when I say 10 years, they're rolling their eyes going, come on, man, that's like half my life already. No, no. So, so what I try to do is, um, reframe it. And re-anchor them. Mm -hmm. And so early on, I say, okay, I put up a slide and I say, I need to do some math for me, guys. And they're thinking some heavy finance stuff. And the question (laughs) simply is, how old are you now? Yeah. How old do you hope to be when you die? Okay. And not only did it get a little giggle, but I actually stop and make them, I need you guys to actually put a number in your head. And so... I don't proceed until they say, yeah, we got my number. And I ask the, you know, the class or whoever I'm talking to, so what's your number? And it would be 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. And the reason why I do that is to re-anchor them. Because now that 60 or 70 or 80 years in some cases is the investment horizon. Yeah. And now 10 years against an investment horizon of 60 doesn't sound nearly as daunting as 10 over 20. Yeah. So it's, it's about getting, getting the, the young people to think 10 years... Off of 20 sounds impossible, but 10 years off of 60 sounds doable. Yeah. You know, I did, there's a website that you, it, it, you can punch in a bunch of stuff and find out how long you're going to live. Oh, right. I've done that. Ba- basically, yeah. I think it's something like how Put long in your is lifestyle. my life. 
Uh, yeah, and I my, mine was ninety. I'm <laughs> and higher I'm, than me. <laughs> I'm working on a. I'm working on. A, yeah, I guess I. I, I don't know if it, it uh, matters. Uh, uh, maybe the year that you were born matters because of whatever you know how much and how much time you have left. Of course. Yeah. I probably did this a year or two ago. You know, so maybe when I was thirty-five, say. Yeah. Right. But uh, I'll be thirty-eight this year. Yeah. So yeah, it's a ninety, and I've been working on a blog post, sort of just in the background, like I, I'm going to live until I'm ninety. And what impacts that might have, you know, just knowing that, like you said, it, it did, it did kind of reframe it for me and like, okay, so does, you know, when I did that projection to say, okay, if I stop now and when I'm 65, if I add on OAS and CPP plus the money that I have that's grown, I'll be okay. Right. And will I really be okay? And will CPP and OAS last until I'm 90? Will they be around? You know, like, can you recount on this kind of stuff? It's just interesting to think about. You started reading like this report and other maybe personal finance books or yep. investing books, that kind of stuff, like exactly. just sort of taking it all in. Yeah. At the last first morning, at first hour of every day and last hour of every day. Not everybody would have the capacity to do this, but this was an interest of yours. Yeah. It was, right? it was, Obviously, you're, you were dabbling before and yep. then you wanted to be a little more serious. Not everybody likes personal finance like we do. No, I mean, I know. <laughs> if you're listening to this show, you either do like it or you're looking to get like something from it yeah. so that you don't have to think about it. Still, some personal finance books are interesting, yeah. right? Like they're, they're entertaining, Wealthing Like Rabbits by Robert Brown. And, uh, you know, if you're looking to, to find the money, uh, Cashflow Cookbook, which, uh, you know, I'm giving away copies of that. You know? Lots of good tips in there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like uh, to be able to find the money, you know, a lot of people just don't want to do the investing on their own. So you you come up with this website. When did when did this sort of uh, dawn on you? Or like, was it uh, after you finished? Or did you did you technically retire from this job, uh, the president job? No, or? I I left. Well, that's quite some time ago. Yeah. back in 2011, and then I I bought into a um, an industrial logistics and software company. Okay, wow. And we kind of restructured that, sold that, uh, sold the logistics part off to CP Rail, and then kept the software part, which uh, is really cool. It's a great Canadian success uh, that's story. Awesome. Yeah. They do. They work out of. Uh, used to be in Hamilton. They now work in, out of um, Burlington. They do. Uh, it's for heavy industry. They do space optimization and crane automation. Okay. And the company's gone from like two or three people four years ago to like over fifty people now, and it's selling like, selling systems all over the world. So, so this is like this is. Uh Without workers or remote workers, like you're offering the equipment or you yeah, don't have so to go up into the crane or... What it does is actually my buddy who started the company built Canada's first lead gold industrial building just over here in, okay. in Hamilton. And it was a, he, he called it a lights out facility. And it, what it stored was large steel coils. So if you can picture a toilet roll okay. and put it eye horizontal, they say. Okay. Um, what this system did is the truck would come in one door of the warehouse... A human would take the coil off of the truck, put it onto a transfer car. Yeah. The transfer car would go through the wall, and then the crane and the automation would take over. Wow. Um, by scanning the coil, they could determine what the characteristics, physical characteristics of that coil was, and they could store it with like coils in the warehouse. And so they could stack these coils three high, like picture the toilet rolls being stacked yeah. up three high in automation. So uh, a couple things uh, happen. One is you can get 30 to 40% more inventory in the same box with this space optimization wow and of course you have no labor now yeah. other than the guy unloading the truck so more accuracy no injuries yeah which is big in the safety, steel industry for sure yeah. i imagine very important in the steel industry you don't lose any coils anymore because it's all tracked everything yeah it's and so how much does one of these coils weigh 
Uh, well, it can range from 20 to 40 tons. Yeah, that's insane. It's big time stuff. <laughs> so this is your company and you just helped. My buddy's company. Your buddy's company. Yeah. And you, but you helped build it yeah. up. Yeah. And then what did you have? Did you have an exit or like yeah, you, so you, then you were we, investing in it? Or? So I, I, I work with them to help them restructure the original portion and help them sell it. Because in my uh, business career, I'd, I'd bought and sold 20 odd companies over the years. Okay. So I helped them restructure the company and, and sell off the logistics so he could focus his his passion, you know, evolved from being logistics into being software. And so now he can focus on what he wants. Hmm. And so once that was done, um, you know, I still have a minority piece in the company, but he's now running it on his own. He's hired uh, great people to work around him on the technology side and software development side and operation side. So uh, yeah, I can do what I want now. So you, so you have, so, well, okay. So your experience uh, in the first part of your career was well running a company mm-hmm. and then maybe buying smaller ones and, and integrating them in your company yes. and restructuring your company to be more efficient and optimized. And then you started doing this as well. And then also the property investing. Uh, well, I was in commercial real estate, right? So I've yeah, always had a bit yeah. of affinity for real estate. Yeah. So. What was the company that, that you were president of? Uh, Altus Group. Okay. Altus. And so uh, you said real estate valuation. valuation. So you are an expert at knowing how much something is worth. On the commercial side, <laughs> yeah, I would say yes, I used to be. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, sure. I guess it changes so fast, It does right? change, yeah. And But that must have helped you on the residential side. Oh, for when sure. You were, you, so where did you buy, uh, were you, your property investing, was that residential? Yes, it was. It was yeah. duplex, yeah. So you, were, you used the uh, capital that you built up over the years then? Yes. Uh, yep. From other investments yep. or just like saving? I actually, I actually used a, um, uh, I have a line of credit sure. for investment purposes. Yeah. I'm not suggesting you borrow to... No, no. But anyways, but I have you, it, so... Yeah. Uh, in I, what situation... So you used it for this situation, and, and uh, why is that? Yeah. Uh, just, I didn't want to tie up my own cash, so okay. I used the line of credit. We bought the house. It was in a terrible state of disrepair, which is exactly what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother is quite gifted at uh, design. He can go anywhere from design to framing to finishing to cabinetry. Wow. Like, he yeah. does it all. And so he was in charge of the project management of it. I would help him on site on occasion, but I'm the grunt labor, really. Whatever you could do, yeah. Exactly. By using the line of credit, I don't have to sell anything of... It's, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and then once it's, um, complete, we just put a, a standard mortgage on it and the rent more than covers the mortgage payments and then some. So, so now this, for a lot of people, this would be a risky move, maybe less for you because you seem to have it all planned out, but a lot of people, this would go wrong. So like, how do you, how do you know for you that, that you're going to be able to fix it up nice and put a mortgage on it and all that? I guess part of it from being in real estate all those yeah. years, I have a pretty good understanding of what yeah. it takes to get financed and, okay. and what rent you need to make this all make sense and what the value is going to be at the end of it. I mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I walk in with that background, sure. but there's always a risk. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, this uh, project took probably four or five months longer than we thought mm-hmm. because we had trouble getting the building permit on time. So there, there were things so that go things. wrong. So yeah. wh- like why, you know, because you have a lot of options. Why do, because it was an interest of yours and you had knowledge about it. Like you could have just put more money in your ETFs. Could have. I did it partly because I uh, enjoyed working with my brother. Okay, yeah. Uh, I learned a lot from the actual hands-on yeah. construction part. I mean, uh, I have very limited knowledge there. He's an expert. And so it's, it was kind of fun where uh, we'd show up and he'd show me how to build the wall. And then basically I'd go and 
do one wall and and then you tell me well, here's what I want you to do here and I and I do that and so you, you pick up some things along the way so I found it's a bit of a learning for me quite frankly mm-hmm. so, yeah so would you recommend like if people have some extra money say outside of their regular you know regular investing you know monthlies or whatever they do weekly that they maybe sort of explore alternative investments like this if they have knowledge or they know somebody like your brother, for example? Yeah, I mean, if you can leverage somebody, that's a very, very important ingredient is that you need somebody who's not going to get taken advantage of by the trades. Uh, mm-hmm. So he has experience with, you know, managing electricians, plumbers, HVAC guys. And so when he gets a quote, I mean, if I was to get the quote, I wouldn't know if it's 15,000 is good or bad. But he knows. But he knows yeah. it should be 13. Yeah. Right. So you need guys like that running the show. And so I would say that's an important part of any prospective real estate deal. And the other thing is markets are kind of frothy. Mm. They come off a bit. So you really got to do a bit of math in advance to make sure that you're you know, if things do continue to dip that you can afford to hang on. Yeah, that's right. Real estate is tough. And I mean, obviously you have a, a huge background in it, so it's less risky for you. But I know there's a lot of people with skills out there, but they don't have the money. And a lot of people with money, they don't know what to do right. with their money, right? And I have uh, Tyler Chef coming on in a couple of weeks uh, from cashflowguys.com. Okay. And his expertise is getting people together and investing in real estate, mostly in the, in the States. But uh, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I would never think of doing this, you know, because I don't, I, I wouldn't know where to start, but there's a lot of people who if you have a little bit of extra money and I'm, I'm say extra because I wouldn't want you to put all this on the line, you know, and, and just do it once and then be like, oh, it's terrible, right? But, yeah, I, I mean, if you only have a limited amount, you should be TFSing and that's RSPing right. and yeah. the rest of it. But we talk about ETFs all the time and, uh, you know, how, how, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket are bad. Yeah. I just want uh, people to be aware that there is a room in every portfolio for a little bit of this and that, especially if it aligns with your interests. And like you said, you're learning and there's nothing wrong with investing in new experiences or learning experiences, right? It helps you grow. Yeah. I think growth is really important. Yeah. I, I, if you can invest in something that you're interested in. Yeah. I also used it for quite honestly, part of a workout because yeah, exactly. it's, it's physically demanding. And so that would, I would chalk it up as a workout day <laughs> or just a challenge, right? Because yeah. people, you know, investing does come off as really boring. And yeah. if you do find yourself in a situation where you just have money and, uh, you don't want to just, you want to do something with it, something, something productive, you know, don't go buy a cryptocurrency because <laughs> <Right. laughs> that, like we're talking about volatility. Oh man. Yeah. It's great. Right? Like this, you have no idea what's going to happen. We're talking about boom bust, right? Yeah. So you're learning about all this stuff as you go and you get to a point and you're like, I'm going to make a website. I want to make an educational resource. How did that kind of come to play? Okay, so uh, the exact timing of that, I launched the website in October 2016, and it was earlier that year. I mentioned that you know we restructured the company, yep. sold off the CP rail. My buddy took over the technology side, yeah. and at that point, I was no longer required in that company, so I step out. I was down with my wife in the in the Caribbean, and we both thought to ourselves, "Well, we can do what we want." What is, it, what yeah. is it you want to do? Hmm, nice. And so I read a couple books about what retirement was and what it wasn't. I don't really want to retire and do nothing because I can't. I can't do nothing. It's an important thing to realize. Yeah. And, you know, I was at a conference, um, sorry to interrupt, by no, the way, no, that's um, good. at a conference called uh, Financial, uh, Financial Wellness and Retirement Readiness. And one of the speakers was speaking on behalf of a company that helps uh, people prepare for retirement, say like executives, because you think, okay, I'm, it's a, this is my time, 65. The company says it's time and yeah. 
I'm just going to go and sit at home and play golf and I think I'm going to be fine. But you don't know. You don't have any idea. And, you know, this guy was speaking. He was depressed for six months, really depressed and wondering, you know, what his purpose was because he always enjoyed his work. Right. And you seem to be the type of person who enjoys work as well. So that seemed like it would be an important thing for you to realize. I got to. I'm going to do something. I got to. So you you were thinking I want to give back. Well, you you hit the nail on the head already. Uh, You mentioned the word purpose. Mm. And so, you know, having read a couple of those books, they all talk about, well, you have to find a new purpose. Okay. And so what is it that you're supposed to do in order to find that purpose? And they had, you know, these cute little exercises in there. Ask yourself some questions. And and basically I I funneled myself into this by answering these questions in in this book, which was, you know, what interest do you have? What what interest have you always had? Do you enjoy to write? Do you enjoy to, you know, make a presentation? Do you enjoy all these things? And then it just sort of dawned on me that I came back from the vacation with my wife and we're having dinner with my three girls. And I said, you know what? I'm going to write you guys some notes about how to invest and uh, my middle daughter said, well, thanks, Deb. That's kind of lame. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I want to read it on my phone when I want to read it. Yeah. And, and not only that, my friends need this kind of help. So why don't okay. you just step it up a bit and, and make it public? And I said, okay. she had a point. And so it was, it was that combination of things that all of a sudden I said, hey, maybe I'll just write a site to try to give back. Nice. On and, investing, yeah. Yeah, and, and you did. You know, just to touch on that for a sec, would you recommend people go through this exercise earlier than that the retirement exercise you mean oh for sure you can't you can't um you can't just stop working but but what about like what if you're unhappy with your current job like i think i just feel like you know what i mean i feel like you because you just went through the same process i did when i went to career counseling yeah and that's what kind of pointed me to where i am now right and i'm 38 and i want everybody who's 38 or 28 or whatever and is thinking i gotta stay in this job because i have to not that it's even a bad job like i didn't have a bad job at all yeah it just wasn't what i wanted to be doing but i kept telling myself well but it's a good job some people don't have jobs like i'd be crazy to move on from this the perks are great you know like Backstage passes, this and that, yeah. right? Please, like, I want everyone to do that exercise, no matter what. Because what if you find out what, that you want to do something completely different? I, people are so afraid. I think, I think uh, periodically stopping for some self-reflection on what you want to do, uh, especially if you're unhappy or you're not sure you are happy, yeah. there's a difference there. If you're just going through the motions, you should probably do a little reevaluation. And you're right. You don't have to wait till you're 65 or 60 or whatever. You can, you can do it if... Whenever you're feeling you're not living the fullest. I just wanted to put that out there. I agree with you. Just every, any opportunity that I can, like, just like, yeah, just look, look at your situation, right? Don't just accept it as this is what has to be. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah, sorry, back to you. So you figured out this website and mm-hmm. then how'd you come up with the, you know, charity aspect, the fact that you are financially independent or financially, uh, financial liberty, as you like to call it, yeah. which I like, by the way. It was like, you're not doing this to make money. No, I, d- yeah. I don't make any money. Yeah. And I also didn't want any, I didn't want to charge for a couple of reasons. I didn't want the liability. Sure. I don't want to offer advice and charge for it and open myself up to liability. I'm not interested in that. Especially because you have a specific portfolio of ETFs. It's a model portfolio. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can, you can change it if you want. Then it's your portfolio. Yeah. Quite frankly. So that, that's one reason. And then I thought to myself, you know, if I did charge, it wouldn't be all that much money per se and do i need the extra you know whatever dollars not necessarily but charities do Mm -hmm. and so i just thought 
why not steer it that way and and uh, try to get some good out of it? So, you know, there's two elements there. Help some people learn a bit about investing and maybe they can take charge of their own lives and, and at the same time raise a bit of money for the charity of, you know, San Filippo Children's Foundation or the charity of that person's choice. That's great. I'll, and I'll put a link to the foundation for sure, of course, okay. along with your website. So let's go through a little, just a run through. Uh, so you can go to the website and there's, there's actually just resources. There's some FAQs and there's some blog posts and stuff you can yep. read and get information. But if you actually want to sign up, yep. so I went through the first, was it six questions? Six questions. You just want to make sure everyone gets what is happening. What, what are you signing up for? Yeah. So basically the only way to sign up is to complete the six question ready to invest quiz. Mm-hmm. It's one of the tabs. And, and really the reason why I do that is so that as, as I've said before, I am a big believer in equities. And, but if you don't treat equities with respect, I mean, hold them at least 10 years or longer, sure. they are extraordinarily dangerous. That's right. And I want to make sure people understand that. Yeah. Uh, even novice people that are new to investing, they need to understand how volatile and dangerous and risky equities can be if you sell too soon. And as an example, even if you, well, okay, then maybe this is not a good example because you're talking about selling. Uh, but if you needed that money in five years, say, mm-hmm. and you invested uh, you know, in all equities in 2007... Right, and you needed it in 2010 or 11. It was half gone. You would have been half gone, <laughs> and you don't have a choice, right? Yeah. And now, now, of course, you think investing is the worst thing possible, so it's also su- sullied your That's view right. of investments just because you didn't quite understand that equities are volatile in the short term. Yes. But that's not the point of this. Okay, sorry. So back to the process. You are... Uh, that's one of the questions. Right. Do you understand this? Yeah. So, so basically, there's six questions that are kind of driving the message from different angles home. And then once you complete that, you can register. And what happens there is you'll be asked to make the donation to charity. $20 is all it is. Okay. And at that point, the back of the website opens up. Yes. And at the back of the website is where that model portfolio is. And it, it'll give you the six specific ETFs that are in that portfolio. It'll talk about what the historical performance has been. It'll talk about the geographic diversification that's in that portfolio. And more importantly, the economic sector diversification that's in that portfolio. And that's where that tool is to rebalance as well. I mentioned if you had 5,000, but now you have 6,500, you'd plug it in there and it would tell you how to adjust the portfolio. So all those tools are only for people who are registered. Okay. And... And do you help in terms of pointing them uh, in the direction of how to invest in how to buy ETFs? Yeah, there's actually click by click instructions. Okay. I, I provide yeah. a template. Great. Um, if you've never bought an ETF before, um, I use one of the big banks as an example. And it's really, and when I say click by click, I mean yeah. right click here and click there. And, and um, that's great. It's because, very transparent. Yeah. I mean, so you're, I mean, you're kind of helping them make their own robo advisor for yeah. themselves in, in a way because that's what the robo advisor's benefits are. But they charge a half a percent right. annually as a fee for doing all of this. And so if someone has a little bit more interest and they want to try to do it themselves, they can start with your model portfolio. Yes. And you, so you recommend one of the big bank uh, portfolios in there. You don't have to mention them because I don't really like the banks, but, but there are, you could trade anywhere. There are many brokerages. Yeah. So like, I guess I, I do mention quest trade because they are not a bank. Right. And uh, ETFs are free. Am right. I wrong? Trading is free. There's uh, there's some tiny fees, I'm sure, with every... I think you can buy them for free, and I think there's a fee to sell. Okay, sure. So but each each of the platforms is slightly different. But yeah, it's, it is possible to buy ETFs for free now. And we and we should mention, uh, there is you will be selling for rebalancing purposes, right? Well, 
Yes and no. Since you are investing for 10 or hopefully longer years, when it comes time to rebalance, what you'll probably find is that one of the ETFs, one of the six has not performed as well as the others. Yeah. And so you end up just buying more of that one. I see. Okay. Um, I think uh, I had, well, the portfolio is only October, 2016, so it's not really that old, Mm -hmm. but I haven't been faced with a situation where one of the ETFs is rocketed ahead of all the others because they all are sort of like large capitalization, uh, well diversified to begin with. So they, they have a little bit of, um, like none of the six is going to take off, take off like a rocket. Yeah. It's, It's more of a slow, gradual approach subject to, of course, market downturns and then yes, poop hits the fan. And, and what I learned about rebalancing, too, is that if you're regularly adding money to your ETFs, to, to your portfolio, that that just kind of the rebalancing will tell you where to put that new money. Exactly. So it's right. not like moving around the existing money. The guys I interviewed from a company called Passive, Passive without an E at the end, mm-hmm. and they built a tool, a rebalancing tool that adds on to Quest Trade. Right. And it just that takes away the pain of rebalancing, which it seems like you have a, a tool in there yeah, to point somewhere. people in the right direction. It's yeah. just not like uh, there's no API connecting into Quest Trade or anything right. like no, that. So nothing. they went the extra extra step there, and uh, but it's just a tool, a generic tool, and they don't do any of the recommendations of ETFs or anything. They just want people to be able to easily rebalance their stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's uh, there are easy enough ways to figure out how to do this yourself. You got the click by click, which is, which is great. And it's not for everybody. No, no. no. So go through the six steps. And if you're not comfortable with any of that. Yeah. If you're not comfortable with that, maybe you're not comfortable being a do it yourself investor, which is totally fine. Yeah. And then, and then if that's, if that's who you find you are, if you find, you know, this website and others sort of uncomfortable for you, because um, you don't have the time or the interest or inclination to invest in your own. Nothing wrong with that. Like, don't feel bad about it. My next stop would be the robo-advisors. Yeah. Uh, they are a great mid-step. They're cheap. They're effective. They rebalance for you. They have many, many advantages. Do they cost you half a point? Yes, but you're way better off than spending the half point if, if you're doing something rather than nothing. And then, you know, further to the right on the advice spectrum, then you get into wealth managers, but you need a lot of money for those guys. They need money, yeah. And yeah. the one thing I would say is don't ever buy a Series A mutual fund, ever, Yeah, ever, ever. <laughs> like they're, they're talking about 2.5% yes. uh, fees, yes. 2.3, 2.4, yeah. It's ridiculous. Did, did you have some of these early never. on? No, you never, never did? Never. Eh? Never would I own a mutual fund, never. It's, it's, Not it, even early on when never. they were the only sort of thing to buy? Mutual funds did have a role yeah. in investing when they first came out because they allowed a small investor to start to participate sure. very easily. But I never did mutual funds because in school they taught us about the cost of the fees, right? Interesting. And and even... I don't like, remember I don't remember that being so explicit, oh, by the stuck way. stuck in my head. And mine was, mine was 15 years later. Yeah, it's so, stuck in my head. interesting. Yeah. And so if you think about it, the average Series A mutual fund in Canada is 2.3% okay. today. Yeah. And that is 10 times more expensive than a typical ETF. Yeah. 10 times. Yeah. Why would like, you pay that? It were, uh, I think the average of my robo-advisor one is probably like point four or five or something like that Could be, yeah. and then uh, like it, you, maybe even less maybe 0.3 when I mean, you add on the 0.5 uh, in terms of it, it always comes in under one percent yes which I, I, th- I think is a pretty good rule of thumb if your overall investment costs are less than one percent it's not it's not uh, the greatest like you want to obviously if you can just just have the uh, the management expense ratios from ETFs if you do it yourself like yours right. um, then you could get it I mean what 
Do you have an average of what yeah, the, the MER is that you uh, in average, your portfolio? Um, MER, uh, the expense ratio of the six ETFs in the model portfolio, I think is 0.23%. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, some of them are probably like 0.05 or they something are. like that. Yeah, but they, I, I have two, two ETFs that are uh, higher cost, the real estate one and the utilities one. And the reason why I inserted those two in particular is those two ETFs, are less volatile than mm. the rest of the market, first of all. Okay. And they pay a higher uh, distribution uh, okay. yield. Yeah. And more importantly, the most important reason why I included those two is they pay a monthly distribution. So monthly. as a young investor, yeah. every time you open up your account, there's some there's money hitting your account from your investing portfolio because, every single month. Because in a brokerage, they have to pay it out in cash? Well, you could drip it if oh, you, you want. If you, you can do a synthetic drip through your brokerage. You could, yes. Okay, yeah. But my point is those two ETFs have a monthly distribution. Nice. Cash or, or more, or whatever more stock, is. right? And that, why is that better than just growth? I mean, I, I like dividend investing, but what's, um, your, what's your view on that? Again, it's a human behavior thing. I, mm. I want people to feel that their portfolio is paying them yeah. every single month. So every month, you're going to get some income from those two ETFs. And every three months, you're going to get some uh, additional quarterly and then i think one of the etfs is paying s- semi-annually so that comes in every six months mm-hmm. but basically every time a young investor opens up this portfolio there's new money coming into it every single month and it just helps you You're like really why do you invest in my mind the reason why people should invest is for income replacement yeah you know uh, in the old days wealth was not um was not uh counted by how much you made in a year it's by how much your assets generated, generated. Yeah. and so really that's you know what, what is investing what is what is a, what is a million dollars what is a million dollars well a million dollars really is an income of about forty thousand dollars a year in dividends yeah that's you, what it is uh, if you can get it to do that right and or, so or interest depending on where you have it right well, I, you uh, want the dividends uh, yeah obviously for tax, tax purposes reasons, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the purpose of investing is not just to get the million dollars it's to get the million dollars so you can have forty thousand dollars a year inflation protected tax efficient income for the rest of your life that's what the million dollars buys you yeah that's I think what people need to think about that when they're thinking about why, you know, I mean, you got to think about why, why I'm investing, not just because, like you said, somebody said they had to, or, you know, whenever I talk to a, a client, we talk about goals. Mm-hmm. What are your money goals? Like, do you want to reach financial independence? Do you want to buy a house right now? Do you want to have a family? Are you saving up? Do you have an emergency fund yet? We have to think about just, just don't blindly put money into something, right? Because no. Dave told you to, right? Right. <laughs> don't do that. Because go to <laughs> theanswerisca and yeah. do whatever Dave says. Yeah. No, you, you got to answer those questions honestly when yeah. you do the quiz. And if you really don't understand what that means, uh, if you don't know what equities are, you can click the button and say, I don't understand. And then they can ask you questions. The answer is dot CA. What is, what is the answer? 42. <laughs> Just kidding. That's the movie, right? That's a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Yeah, right? Exactly. Is that right? I was surprised the name was available actually. Okay. Yeah. You know what? It's dot CAs are still. Yeah, um, that's true. Because about eight or nine years ago, I bought investwisely.ca and right. Fi- I saw your logo. Financial that's a good accounting logo. CA. Yeah. I own all of those, but no, no, no longer. I mean, I just was, I was brainstorming and just sat on those for a bit, but I hadn't done, I didn't do anything with them for eight or nine years, okay. depending on which one we're talking about. Right. I just launched financial accounting.ca. And, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll sell it to the chartered accountants, right? Right. <laughs> right. 
So the answer is that CA. Is there anything else that you want to plug? you have uh, any other things going on? No, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to reach out to your listeners. If any of your listeners see um, an opportunity for a free presentation, I, they're one hour. Includes Q&A. It's very interactive, kind of fun. Yeah, everybody um, should take you up on this because it's, you know, it's hard to get free, uh, unbiased advice, right. you know, and uh, I guess technically... It's not advice because you're not, or you'll give the disclaimer, right? Right. Because <laughs> the OSC, the OSC will come knocking. I don't know if they did. Uh, I, I, I reached out to them actually. Okay, and, good. And, and I'm actually working with the OSC right now on um, uh, on something to help uh, further protection for young investors. Oh, that's great. It's on their website, and it's it's a comment letter for the uh, statement of priorities for 2019. And if you click on May 31st, um, I co-authored that with a professor from the University of Toronto. What's uh, Do you got like a 30-second summary of what, what, what Basically, it is? Basically, yeah. My pet peeve is that financial institutions, when they onboard new clients, mm-hmm. they ask them a series of questions. Yeah, the KYC, know your clients. Stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's two things. First of all, there is no consistent questionnaire between financial institutions. Okay. So there's no standard definition of risk between financial institutions. I see. That's number one. Number two is they're asking questions of people who don't know what they don't know. That's right. And as a result, the, these people ha- even have difficulty asking good questions because yep. they're not sure what to ask. Mm. But here's what happens. The financial institutions take those uninformed answers, right? They knowingly take those uninformed answers yeah. and they use those uninformed answers to create asset allocation and a portfolio for that client. For their whole life, probably. Well, yeah, at least for possibly. the at least for the initial investment. Yeah. And my point is that's not right. And so we've come up with two suggestions. One is to alter the risk profile questionnaire, mm-hmm. and the second is to introduce a sensitivity analysis as part of the onboarding process, so that the new client will will be able to have one page in front of them that explains to them very simply in chart form what the impact of waiting extra one extra year to retire, yes. um, how much the fees will impact on long-term portfolio value. And by simply showing them the results of the calculations, they then have the information to ask good questions. That's right. If you knew it was going to happen, what would you do? But just to say, like, if you, if you had $10,000 and it went, or if you had a $10,000 loss or something in a year, like, would that be a bad thing for you? Would you sell or buy? Which is one of the That's one of standard questions. questions, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I, I don't know. Like, what, give me more context, right? right? Which well, is what you, you're going for. Yeah, exactly. And like one of the classic examples is the banks disclose to you the fee for the mutual funds 2.3%. Mm-hmm. They, they tell you. Yeah. But in reality, they're hiding behind the disclosure. Because they know the person who's receiving that information can't figure out yeah. on the spot That's it. that that 2% fee is going to cost me 50% of my portfolio value in 40 years. The person across the table from them can't do that math in their head sitting there. And the bank knows that. Yeah. And so that's what has to be fixed. Yeah, they they built the the way that this is presented. It's not of like it's just, this is the way. Oh, it's just the management expense ratios are what they are. They created this for a reason, yeah. right? Well, it's that's all... the reason why we all own bank shares. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> they own... do, they're very good at their job. I own two of them. I yeah. still feel like a hypocrite, uh, but I'm you know I I get dividends and I like. Hey, I you like can't dividends. beat them. Join them. <laughs> uh, you know what I always say is I have a vote. Yes. And I can vote against all of the stuff that they recommend. So <laughs> if yeah. you don't like, if you're trying to fight the system, you got to be part of it. Right? You know what? If you really hate the banks, you should own them. Yeah, I think so. I, I started, uh, I mean, I do have a couple of posts that refer to this, but I almost wrote a post exactly saying that yeah. because 
you know, we can, we can, if we, enough people own it, we can change things like, we can affect things like uh, executive salaries and uh, the way things are disclosed because they all come up. There's always a bunch of dissenters, the, the minority shareholders who can propose mm-hmm. changes yeah. and then they get to the top. And of course the board says, we recommend voting against this. <laughs> right. And I say, yeah, I'm not going to listen to that. And I vote for that because like there's a lot of room for movement in terms of what the banks think is, is a good idea. And in right? the meantime, you can do very well by owning them. Yeah, for their exactly. dividends and their capital appreciation. Own them until they all go out of business. Right. <laughs> and uh, whatever the next thing is, which is my most recent episode of Future of Payments. Okay. We'll see that, how that uh, goes. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, from what I, the summary is, a digi- it's probably going to be a digital fiat currency, a, the digital cu- version of the currency we already have, as yeah. opposed to cryptocurrency, which is going to drain that makes more all of our me. natural resources yeah. and uh, you know make all the lights go out yeah. eventually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we obviously uh, are recommending a very, very specific, safe, uh, volatile, but safe over the long term a solution, but it's up to you to make your own decisions. Absolutely. Right. And the goal of, of uh, the answer is.ca and investwisely.ca and this podcast is to make sure everybody has as much information as possible so they can make the right decisions for them. Yeah, totally mm-hmm. agree. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming to the studio. I'm getting more and more people coming to the studio, which yeah. is good, uh, you know, because I like the quality. It's better. Yeah. I don't have to leave my house, which is nice. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts right now. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And please let me know what you think of the show. You can email me at bo at bohumphreys.com or tag me on Twitter at bohumphreys. It would be nice to know who's out there and who's listening. And I have a new Facebook group. If you want to come and talk to me and guests and other people who listen to the show, just go on Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. You should be able to find it there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. Next week, my guest will be Darlene Patgunaraja, Bionic Advisor at Fineo, the agency for the financial advisor of tomorrow.